0: come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, Life on Closet family. Welcome to another episode. Are you all happy, satisfied? Did you get your sweethearts filled yesterday? Are you doing well in your life, but then going, wait, not everything showed up quite the way I thought. And maybe you're not doing something because everybody else said, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I know we've had these conversations before, but I think I'm about to take you on an interesting little journey today because my guest. well, we've been talking for 20 minutes. I'm like, oh my goodness, we have a lot of territory to cover here, but he's got an interesting life. He's got some challenges he's faced. He's got two beautiful young girls in his world. He also made the decision not to do something, which probably some of you are like, yeah, I get that. But when you get pressured to be something and do something in your world, and then you find the pathway through and doors keep opening, we're just going to go look at all the ways doors open and how you find your path, even if you say no to the dress, so to speak. So I know I've created a little bit of mystery, but that's the way I wanted to keep it. His name is Bill Rossi. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's also a Chicago area guy. He's very devoted to his partner and his kids. He's, I don't know, he's got his hand in like 15 businesses. I think that's what he said. And he's also very much an LGBTQ advocate, does a lot of work in our own community. And I can't wait to unravel all that bill rossi is so i'm ready to strip you down just pun intended there bill but um, (laughs) welcome (laughs) welcome to life on closet man i i've already enjoyed the conversation we were having prior to going live here and um thanks for being here man
1: thank you rick it was great meeting you and thank you for having me of course so let's be clear i haven't had him
0: we're we're having a conversation here folks we're gonna keep this clean tonight but yes it's a clean conversation it is a clean conversation, and I, I just, I want to start somewhere where we have some commonality. We're both entrepreneurs, you know. We dove in. We're kind of like, hey, I'm going to go do this. You seem to have the bug more than I do. But what kind of like drove you into that? Because there's some places we go into the LGBTQ space where suddenly this started to open some other doors. But were you always wanted to be like your own like boss or?
1: No, actually, you know, I, I I did get my MBA from a, a top five university and I worked for a very large company here in Chicago and um, went through a number of a round of layoffs when I worked there and I was in my late 20s and I realized I never wanted to have somebody else controlling my destiny and what was going to happen to my job. Um, and so I actually went to go work for an investment firm here in Chicago. And from there, uh, I got involved in a lot of different businesses. I never liked Monotony in the first place. Uh, so I, I I loved what I did. And mm-hmm. uh, as I grew those businesses, um, we took the the route of divesting the companies because I made them all very profitable. So we had a bunch of real estate, commercial office buildings and we had a bunch of companies. And uh, the main investor said buildings don't have personalities and people do and I don't really want to deal with personalities anymore. And so that was the catalyst for me starting my own business because one of the managing partners of one of those businesses we divested Said, you know what, we're gonna start your own business and you're gonna you're gonna work with me. And so that's how it started. Kind of similar for
0: me. I mean, those who've listened to the podcast know I came back from vacation to lovely Provincetown town, and we just had got home. And I, I lived in Southern California at the time. I hopped in the car and drove on one of the lovely freeways to go to work. I spent an hour and a half on the road, walk in 20 minutes later. I'm back in the car. Bye-bye, you're done. We laid you off. Because you, we know you'll do well. You can move on. I'm like, yeah, thanks a lot. You know, I just spent a whole bunch of money on a vacation, but that was the moment I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I literally just, I can't, I can't build other people's success in business. And, um, it was scary, yeah, I agree with it's It was also a driver. It was a huge driver to like, let's do this, you know, let's find. Yeah, absolutely. Through. So, but even as you were starting to do that, I know you kind of kept yourself kind of like you're building businesses and everything. And you mentioned earlier when we were talking that there was like, I've, you've always been a really private person. So now here you are, you're putting yourself out there in the forefront as a business owner. Did that private person and like, oh, I've got to like show up. Did that start to come into a little bit of conflict in your head or did it actually serve
1: No, it actually served me it was like a light, a light switch flipped for me. Um, once I went in that direction, uh, I had to live into the role. And so that's what I did. So I, I I had to move from that private kind of quiet introverted guy. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much an extrovert, but I I kept my private life private. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've blended the private with mm-hmm. you know the professional life.
0: But I think as business owners, that's always um, it's one of those situations where you 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 do think about that a lot. Like, how much of my personal do I showcase and. How much do I keep sacred? And I know uh, you're a father of two, God bless you, two teenage girls. So let's just leave it kind of there right now. But um, (laughs) the blending of the professional with the private is always something I felt like, okay, I can talk about it on podcasts and stuff, but I also want to protect what what is my home? What is my joy? And have you found that to be really similar for you?
1: Yeah. You know, listen, I live in Indiana. It is a red state. It's a Republican state. I live in a blue quadrant. A lot of people don't understand why I live where I live. Uh, I'm about a half hour drive from downtown Chicago, um, but it's a lot less expensive to live in Indiana. And I'm I'm very frugal with my money, which is one of the main reasons that I popped over the border. I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago and I moved over the border um, when I was in college. And, um, you know, I, I have been, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, you know, Mike, we put our kids in Catholic school. And so I I was fearful for my children at points that they would get backlash and and we would get backlash, uh, being that we are, you know, we're not the norm in, 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 in the state of Indiana. Uh, so, uh, but I, I kind of look at barriers and I just pretend they don't exist and I push through them.
0: But that's probably what's made you very successful too.
1: It has a hundred percent. I don't let anything stop me. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I set my mind to something and, and I go for it. And, you know, back to the blending of the professional and the personal, one of the key things I feel with a lot of people in general, but authenticity is key and the personal is what drives that authenticity You can put on whatever face you want, whatever act you want. But if you're being real, you're being authentic. And so I, I kind of pride myself on my authenticity.
0: Well, and you brought something up that I know is one of the things that you said that's going to surprise some people that, you know, you were raised Catholic and now here you put the girls in Catholic school. That's a piece of your truth. That's a piece of who you are. And I know in our community, because so many of us have been wounded from the quote religious Mm -hmm. aspects of this, many people walk away. They're just like done. But when I find someone who still feels they can be in that space and be who they want to be in that space, honor their religious faith and who they are, it's refreshing because I've seen so much negativity. I'm not a practicing. I always write Seventh day Adventists. I don't practice anymore, but I do have a belief in God and sometimes that can be on the doing what I do. That can be really tricky. Oh, I'm not going to, Oh, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Well, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. So not only did you potentially face backlash, obviously for you, your partner and your girls, but as business owners, this stuff can actually infiltrate into that too.
1: Oh, it has. I can I can give you many examples. So one of the businesses uh, I'm part owner of and involved in is a architectural firm in Chicago, and we deal with a lot of Type A personalities. And uh, there's people that who did assumed because I have kids uh, that I had a wife. Yes, and they would treat me one way as soon as they found out that I was gay. Their behavior, the men. Not the women, the men, changed their attitudes toward me. And I learned over the years, and I actually met another woman in the industry um, who was a lesbian, but again, not out. And she shared the same story with me that, you know, once people found out, she was treated differently. So I tended, you know, years ago to keep that part of my life private and let people think what they want. Now, obviously, years later, I don't really care what people think.
0: But we all have that journey. I mean, I I talked to you before we came on the air about this, and I've shared it with the listeners before. If anybody had told me I would be doing this after coming out in 1999, I'm like, no, no, that this is, yes, it's my journey. I'm not, I wasn't hiding who I was by then, but I don't need to make this a big public affair thing. And then I started to realize, oh, wow, I am actually can have some impact if I do this, not from ego per se, but I started realizing I think I'm being called. I think I'm being called to be here. And I know you started feeling the push and the pull in different ways to suddenly become more part of the LGBTQ community in a different way. And then now take us into some of the things you do on the bigger scale advocating for our community?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the last couple of years, I've been a mentor as a a serial entrepreneur owning a handful of businesses. Um, Obviously, I have a plethora of knowledge when it comes to running a business in different Mm -hmm. industries. And so I have volunteered my time to be a mentor to LGBT mentees. Um, And that has led to a um, a quite interesting story, as I shared with you earlier, uh, I was found by the United States Chamber of Commerce uh, Small Business Council, and they put me through a interview process, and they were wanting to add more diversity to the uh, Small Business Council, which is the largest lobbyist group in D.C. It's been around for many, many, many years, um, and, uh, and they picked me. Uh, Over a handful of other candidates. And so I've been there and now I have a direct line, not only for LGBT business, but business in general. And my job is to is to work with other small business owners and advocate on their behalf to help bring change to to you know, to the laws, right, to Congress and try to pass laws to help small businesses. So it has led to a number of things uh, and it's been very exciting. And uh, And I love being able to make a difference and an impact.
0: Mm-hmm. You use the word mentor. And as I was preparing to talk to you and everything, that word kept kind of showing up in my head, like the mm-hmm. mentoring of like business people and the mentoring of people who have gone through, you guys went through a different, well, I, I'm going to say a different surrogacy route than some people do sure. for some very valuable reasons that you made that decision. But each step of the way, as I was reading through stuff, I'm like, well, he kind of just, he keeps mentoring and showing up and giving people confidence and letting them try different things. It, it became for me, at least feel like this is one of the core things he is. He's a big mentor and teacher to others on how to move through life and do things. Does that ever give you like this sense of, oh, my gosh, I don't want that responsibility? Or
1: do you just step into it and like, I really, truly enjoy it? No, actually, it's funny. So you said teacher, and I think I'm a horrible teacher. I really okay. do. I don't do. T- don't I, say I,
0: that too loud with your girls somewhere close you know, by. I, I,
1: I just I don't feel that I am a good teacher in the sense of... I move very fast. Obviously, I'm involved Hmm. in, like I said, 15 different entities across the country, businesses, and I have a lot and and I'm on the board of the HCMA Foundation, which we talked about a little earlier. And so I just have my hands in a lot of different things. And so for me... I, I think it ties back to what I said before about just me being me authentic, my authentic mm-hmm. self and, and being who I am. And if that helps somebody, you know, I don't have all the answers. I tell everybody that I mentor in business, I, I can give you my advice. It doesn't mean it's the right advice, but I can I can give you what I've learned and teach you from the mistakes that I've made and help you in any way I can. So Again, I don't look at myself as a teacher. I think I'm just being me and sharing my life, my story, um, my learnings, and hopefully they help people. And clearly they have, because actually last year, the two, the first and second place winner of the challenge and the uh, program were two of my uh, uh, mentees. Wow. So they won the scholarship money. So that was exciting That's, for me. That is exciting. That is exciting.
0: So you keep yourself busy with all of this, but... You also do this with a very rare heart condition. So how does that play into
1: your world? Uh, yeah, so um, I was born with a genetic heart condition. It is actually the the most common heart condition. Um, the best way to explain it is when you hear of a young athlete dropping dead of a heart attack, sudden cardiac arrest, on you know the football field, basketball court, soccer field typically they have this disease and they don't know they have it. Um, mm. You are limited from doing a lot of things. Um, I my It develops, there's different severities. One in 500 people is the statistic actually have the disease. Mm. So when you look at it as a whole, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy um, has, for the most part, roughly 90% of the people with the disease are either asymptomatic or very minor symptoms. And then there's the top 10% worse um, that of the people who have this condition. And I fall into that category as of right now. So those people have to have open heart surgery. They have a pacemaker defibrillator. So I have had to go through those. So for 20 years, uh, I've been dealing with this this disease. Um, I'm actually, um, again, a uh, uh, a teacher, right? Right. (laughs) I help people with going through all the hard things. Um, but I don't look at it. Um, I don't let my disease control me. Number one, Mm -hmm. there's no cure for it. Uh, as of right now, hopefully there will be in the future. Uh, I'm working very hard on that. Uh, and, uh, in efforts to make that happen, I should say. And, um, you know, I, I don't let it define me and I do everything and I try to stay as positive as I can. I mean, I've gone through the ringer. I I, I go to a top hospital in the country, Northwestern Memorial. That's where my doctors are. I have the best doctors in the, in, in the planet for my condition. I trust them. Yeah. and And again, I don't let this disease control how I live my life. Does it limit me? Yes. I can't run any marathons, but I go to the gym six days a week, sometimes seven. I eat healthy. I exercise, like I said, all the time, because Mm -hmm. while I have a bad heart, I've got to keep my bad heart as healthy as I possibly can. can. Mm -hmm. So, so that is what I do. I maintain the course. I stay very positive. You know, I'm not going to lie. I had some PTSD. I've gone through a bunch of arrhythmias. I've had My heart stopped and started a bunch of times because of being in atrial fibrillation, which sounds very scary, but I had it happen to me, I'm not even kidding you, 20 times in one year. So it became like routine for me to go in, get put under, get my heart shocked and go through all these procedures. Now I'm kind of numb and to anything medically. And obviously I went through one of the most major surgeries you can go through. And to be quite honest with you, the hospital was quite amazed because I was doing things at three days after my surgery that they said people don't do in three weeks. So I, I was working in my hospital bed literally 24 hours after surgery. I actually posted video the minute I came out of anesthesia from the surgery to help other people who have to go through not just people with my condition, any open heart surgery so they can see what it's like. And I did a day by day again doing it to, to help people. So they know what to expect.
0: Exactly. So all of these things that we've been talking about in some way, bring me full circle to starting to really delve into why we even got connected to have you on the podcast. Sure. You've obviously pushed through, you've found ways, you're doing things the way you want to do them for your life. I'm not saying he doesn't have a, well, maybe he does have a gay magic wand. I don't know, but he's making (laughs) stuff happen, right? which tells me you're allowing yourself to kind of march to the beat of your own drum and create the life you want, even down to, well, let's really quickly touch on the, I always find it interesting to talk about the surrogacy things that gay and lesbians go through because everybody sure. thinks, Oh, it's just surrogate. And da. well, there's many, there's ways well, to do them at surrogacy. One of my good friends that I used to speak on P flag panels with n- numerous years ago, I remember when I first got to know her and her wife, their story is kind of interesting. So they donated her eggs. They got a friend who donated the sperm and her wife carried the baby. No. So there was no DNA from her wife because her (laughs) wife had some DNA issues that they didn't want to have handed down I'm like wow I didn't know there was that like cocktail of let's make a baby right I should have because I've been around this stuff obviously I'm a biological dad but then there's other ways of surrogacy like here here's an egg here's a here's some sperm here's the mom who's going to do this they donate that so when you and your partner because it was your partner at the time decided fatherhood is for us you took the path of
1: gestational, Surrogacy, correct? I did. So let me step back a second. So sure. actually, um, when I ended up coming out, um and I started to date men, because I obviously lived, lived the straight lifestyle, quote unquote, um, for many years and fought it because one of the big driving factors besides my religion playing into um, not coming out was wanting to have my own biological children. Right. And so when I started dating men, literally within the first, I would say, 10 minutes of every date, I would say, do you want kids? And mm-hmm. if the answer was no, th- the date pretty much was done because that was the one thing I was not going to let stop me from having a child, right? Being gay. And going back to what you said earlier about God, right? People, I obviously, clearly, I believe in God. And what I have told myself after many years of what the Catholic religion has beat into my head is God created everybody. God created me. And I'm gay. And I was born this way. I didn't choose to be this way. And so if that's what happened, then God created me to be this way. So that's, that's it. That's all there is to it. Um, and so I, I like I said, I interrogated everybody I dated. And uh, and so I didn't date a lot of men between, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I came out basically at 24 years old, dated somebody seriously for a year and a half. We broke up. I dated a few people here and there. But then John and I, my partner, we've been together 23 years. So we've been together ever since. Um, and, uh, so we always knew from day one, we both wanted kids. We both knew we wanted to have our own biological kids, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine being involved in all the businesses. I I do a lot of research, right. And I, and I make sure I understand everything. So, you know, we researched traditional surrogacy, gestational surrogacy, and one of the factors that played a big part in our decision to do gestational surrogacy was the legal, part of this mm-hmm. right so we actually hired our attorney for gestational surrogacy was the one who wrote the laws in illinois so we had like wow. the top-notch attorney and um and we felt very comfortable i just didn't want to go through a process where somebody had the ability to change their mind the other piece of this was i wanted to know the the egg donor right so we knew we wanted to have our own biological kids i knew i wanted to know the egg donor and and i wanted that to be the case for my own personal preference, just to know if years and years down the road, some like, for example, my heart condition, right? I yep. know I have that. It's genetic. It's a 50-50 pass down rate. But I didn't know it at 25, right? right. I didn't know it uh, until I was in my late 20s. Um, and so now I know, right? So now I could share that information. So I just wanted that connection. So we actually had a friend that was willing to do this for us. And I will be honest, our path to surrogacy was the most unbelievably easy path. Mm -hmm. Everything clicked all the stars aligned everything went perfect literally even the egg donor and the surrogate were on the same cycles so everything took on the first time like it was one and done so what we did again very thoughtful approach to this we we thought we wanted to have uh do this a couple times so when we when we got the eggs and we we went to university of chicago um, again, a challenge just to bring up as Northwestern was very religious, and they wouldn't. Even though that's where my doctors were, and I had great relationships and my partners in the medical field and worked there, they would not do our IVF because of the religious background the mm-hmm. and they would not do IVF for same-sex couples. So we went to university of Chicago. So anyhow, we, we took the, the eggs, the viable eggs, we implanted or fertilized half with my sperm, half with his sperm. Cause again, we knew we were going to do this, or we thought at the time we were going to do this multiple times. And so I had the most viable embryos out of all of them, right? So we decided to implant mine first. All along again, like I said, with the intent on doing it again in the future, because then we would have siblings that were blood related, right? Because they had the same mom. Well, during the pregnancy, again, everything went great. All the stars aligned, was super easy, like we got pregnant, like, and it was just like we snapped our fingers and we were pregnant. Uh, but in the last trimester, we found out through the echo, one of the echoes. So we implanted two embryos, one of them split, which is why I have a d- identical twin girls. And they do run identical twins do run in my family as well. Um, but, and then the other one didn't take, but my one daughter, when she was in the womb, they realized she had a heart problem. Now, Mm -hmm. nothing to do with me. Absolutely. It was just a congenital heart defect. So when they were born, um, we, and obviously we lived in Indiana, so there were, there was laws here. John couldn't adopt them. I was the father. We had to have them in Illinois. So everything we did had to be done in Illinois at the time. Uh, John um, got very anxious about the fact that our daughter had this heart problem and she actually had to have open heart surgery at four months. When I tell you the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with was that it absolutely was like, I am, I'm, I'm not a control freak, but I'm, I'm in control and I had no control over this situation. So, we thankfully we went through her condition she I, you and you may have remembered this jimmy kimmel his son mm-hmm. billy had tetralogy of fallow and he had a very emotional moment on tv about it well that's what my daughter had so mm-hmm. he went through the same path i did and with her now hers wasn't as bad but they fixed it and knock on wood she's been good ever since uh but it really scared the bejesus out of john and he and i both decided that you know what, we're gonna counter blessings. We got a BOGO, a buy one, get one free. Mm-hmm. And we're so he donated his embryos to science. And I do still have my embryos still frozen, um, just in case we decided at some point in the future we'd do right. it again. But obviously now, 14 years later, we've decided that that's probably not in the cards right. for us. Yep. So that was that was our path to um to why we did it the way that we did it. Hmm. But again, you're carving your path the way that works for you. For us. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Which leads to the real thing that we started. We're going to talk about on this podcast, which I love all this because I wanted people to see like the paths we go and the way we go. The more that we step into, we do what we do because it's important to us and show up in the way. And so many of us in the LGBTQ community you've indicated you know well i dated women tried to make that that we did it because we were told this how we're supposed to show up in the world absolutely
1: this is what society says we're supposed to do right
0: and then along came
1: gay marriage yes it certainly did
0: and this was a big hubbub in our community i remember going through all this we were part of the whole you know prop 8 here in california and. It was just, it was a mess. And then of course, different mm-hmm. places were approving and all this stuff. So then we had the quilt and the patchwork of like, okay, you can be married here, but we're not going to recognize here. Kind of like what right. you went through with, you know, the adoption and everything. Correct. So you made a conscious decision.
1: To not get married. That, that conscious decision was made because I don't know if you had done any research or heard of this, but in 2014, there was a article in the wall street journal and in the state where I live. If you applied for a marriage license as a same-sex couple, it was a felony and you could get mm-hmm. fined in prison time. And if you officiated a same-sex wedding, then you would get, it was a misdemeanor and you could get fined and serve jail time. So what was the state saying? The state was saying, we don't want gay people here. And that really made us very nervous, right? Of you know and think about it this is 2015 when this happened right so yep. we were already together 15 years when gay marriage passed so a little caveat to all of this um again for my story and for the listeners to understand is when you do the adoption process all the paperwork that all the rights you get as a married couple like yep. medical power of attorney legal power of attorney all these things we had to put in place for John to adopt the girls. So we already had all the same rights that a married couple had. So in our eyes, we're like, well, we've been together 15 years, A. B, we already have all these things in place So what's the point of getting married? Right. Um, And, and, you know, we're obviously both very financially well off. And, you know, so we're like now uncle Sam could just take more money from us. So why give into that? Right. Right. And, and, and then we're like, what did we, we've been together 15 years. Do we restart the clock at 15 years? Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense. You know, we wear, we wear a ring. We've always worn a ring uh, to show that we are a couple. Um, so that way we're off limits. Right. right. <laughs> and um, and again, we live a very we live in Indiana. We don't live in Chicago and in, in Boys Town. We live in, you know, Republican Indiana. So we are definitely not the norm. Like we were told, actually, going back to the comment about the Catholic religion, that we were the only same sex male couple in the entire archdiocese. And I thought to myself when we heard this, there were eight lesbian couples and one gay couple, and we were one of the gay couples. And I thought, why does this even matter? Like, why are you trapped? I go, I guess demographics make a difference, but why does this even matter? um, Mm Doesn't to anybody. (laughs) So, um, you know, we made that decision. And also, the thing in the back of our head was, with all the flip-flopping, right? And yes. we knew we were we lived in a state like you said are they going to take it away? We just didn't want to take that chance again and do we restart the clock. Right. And so that obviously was the case for all these years and then we know what happened with the Respect for Marriage Act. Yep. So now we're in a different mindset. Right. Right. So one. So interestingly enough, this is a, cra- a crazy story. We were at dinner. Most of our friends, I'd say 95 percent of our friends are straight couples, married couples with kids. And we were at dinner and I was talking. This was right before the, act, uh, the bill was passed. And I was talking about somebody said, why? Why haven't you gotten married? And I said, well, we have all these things in place. And he said, well, you do realize like you have to be married to collect social security. Like if one of you pass away and it hit me like a Mm. ton of bricks. I went, okay, guy with the heart condition, family, maybe we should rethink this whole marriage thing. And so we restarted that conversation again. Again, the crazy thing for us is Uh, we, we, you know, the intent is to get married on our anniversary of when we met. Right. Right. So that's in August. So at least times out time-wise this year, but what do we do with all those years? Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like we've been together 23 years. We've lived together 21 years. We've had kids together for 14 years. Does it start all over? Like, does the clock start all over? Well, I can give you advice on that. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love to hear your advice actually.
0: So it's interesting because we kind of went down a very similar path. We kind of like, okay, well, California, we have domestic partnership, pretty much covers everything, you know, that's normal. We had that under our belt. We went and we did all the legal stuff like, okay, the powers of attorneys and all this sort of stuff. So we're kind of good, right? And then, okay, the funny story is we're talking to our accountant and he's like, so you guys didn't get married this year? We're like, no. He's like, oh. We're like, why? Well, if you get married, it would have saved you about $10,000 on taxes this year. <laughs> we're like, oh, really? Why the hell didn't you tell us this sooner? You know, You're like, well, I didn't want to interfere, you know. So jokingly, we always say you got married for the tax benefit, right? But it's not just that, you know, we started to see the value, but we were kind of caught where you were, that if this whole respect for marriage thing didn't go through, given where we are in our lovely little, now Republican-held house and everything. Who knows what could have gone down, right? Right. But we have the confusion, too. We always will celebrate. So we met 9-11, the week of 9-11. So I'm like, well, this thing's probably not going to (laughs) last. It did. And that's the day we always will call, quote, our anniversary. That's when we met. That's when we had our first date. That's when everything started. We joke because we got married on New Year's Eve. We always remember when we got married, New Year's Eve. Neither one of us can ever remember like the year because we're so used to, you know, 2001. That's when we met, all this sort of stuff. So finally, I said, damn it, I'm going to help us remember. I put the date we got married, legally married, in my phone. So I'm like, okay, wait, now I know. It's always Now I know it's 2014, but it is. So I really confuse people. New Year's again, I post my like, so I've officially been with this guy now eight years. And friends are like, wait, didn't you just talk about a 21st year anniversary? I'm like, yes, but we celebrate when we met as our true anniversary. This is our married anniversary, you know? Mm. So I don't know that it matters because the big one to us is when we really started our life together. That's when it was, you know, and um, I find it interesting when we were going through this, we got a lot of, well, shade from some people in the gay community like why aren't you jumping on the bandwagon you need to be doing this i'm like you don't you don't get to tell me how to do this either and it's interesting that our own community for the community that wants so much empathy understanding and free to be who we are flipped that around so quickly and right it kind of bothered me And well it did bother me it bothered me in a really great way you know I remember we were in Provincetown not long after that, and just overhearing conversations in, you know, restaurants and bars and stuff like, "Oh, this marriage thing. Why do we have to be like the heteros?" And other people like, "I can't wait to be married." And da 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 da, you know. And it was such a in within our own community, it was very polarizing. Absolutely, I, I still believe it is. There's times that some are like, "Why do we have to be like the heteros?" And you have kids. Why do you have to have kids? That's such a hetero thing to do. I'm like, because I want to be a parent. Is that okay? Right. I wanted right. to be a parent, so. I'm so glad that you shared that because I think there's a message here for lots of other young or other gay people, but the younger generation, at least from my perspective of everything you've shared, like it's the continuum part of the reason that we do this podcast. Just go be you. Yeah,
1: be yourself. Do you, yourself. you do you. I One of my biggest things is like, lead with kindness everything I do like I do my damn best with every situation no matter who I encounter you know it's so funny going back to the religion you know we, you're taught in the in the catholic religion doing to others as you'd have them doing to you right right so I've always been that way I've always yeah. I wanted I will treat people how I want to be treated and I've always led with kindness because I feel it will come back I'm not judgmental, you know, and it's the, you know, the funny story everybody says is, you know, most Catholics, you know, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Right. And I will tell you when I did, when I came out, my coming out was actually kind of hysterical too, because I actually didn't tell people I, I worked for the, and I still do work for the biggest straight dating service in the world, traditional matchmaking Mm -hmm. service and we started a gay version of it way back when, and it was the first of its kind in Chicago. And I was on every TV station and I was in every newspaper. And obviously because I was, you know, that's how I came out to my my family. I didn't tell anybody. They thought John was my friend and, and it just came out naturally through the media. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those people in my family that were, the most devout Catholics were the worst. I, I mean, I literally, my aunt, um, my aunt said I was a disgrace to our family. Now, mind you, I graduated summa cum laude from a top five university, uh, very well-educated, very successful in business, never have gotten in trouble, led a very good life, yet I'm a disgrace to my family. I had a cousin who I was very close to who who still to this day won't even speak to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the re- religious driver behind it. My uncle would never step foot in my house. My aunt did get pastor issues, uh, but my uncle never did. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I just got to be very resilient to those things. And and I said, yeah, that's their problem, not my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to waste any energy on it. So I don't like to waste negative energy on anything. Like if it's not serving me, I don't waste yeah. my time with that.
0: And I think that's a really valuable lesson through all of this because you've talked business and kids and surrogacy and coming out and your heart condition is don't give energy where energy is not due it was a hard thing and I fought really hard with my family when I first came out and you know you got to accept me and all this sort of stuff and and there's still times that we still get in that space a little bit but I don't I don't want to waste energy where I can use it somewhere else for good And even if that good's just for my own sanity, it's like, I just, I, I can't bear into it. Yes, I'm human. So there's going to be times that like, okay, I'm in my worst. But as I've worked with many people coming out of the closet and guided and mentored and, you know, taught, I hate it when people call me a teacher. I'm like, I'm not really teaching. I'm just sharing what I know. Exactly. Probably one of the greatest lessons I can always offer up is don't, put in don't give your energy away to somebody else who doesn't deserve it you're the only one who deserves your energy yeah you know and the sooner you can embrace that the hap your happiness will flow from that and that doesn't mean be a jerk (laughs) that just realize when you're giving away your energy or your power you're hurting yourself you know and you can't thrive you can't be your most i always go for your most authentic powerful self yeah right yeah you can't be that when you're giving away your power. That also doesn't mean be a tyrant and hold the power. It just really learn how to value the power of you making your decisions and you giving yourself and being yourself and, you know, being you from a place of kindness. I'm glad you brought that kindness piece up. Too often, I think in our own community, we so badly kind of want the empathy and everything. We want everybody to be kind to us. And then, We flip so quickly, like, oh, no, you know, girl, you shouldn't, you know, or, oh, no, he's not good. Wow. We suddenly begin to tear our our own community down in so many ways. When, where does that get us? Where does that truly lead us?
1: Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't propel you forward at all. And You made a good point before about, like, you know, being, being negative gets you absolutely nowhere, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm but we're all human, right? Even me, like I, like this isn't an act. I really am very positive. Like I'm living with a condition. I could die any day, honestly. Like that's the reality. My disease ends in one of two ways. Well, one of three ways you either die of something else. You die, you die of HCM and congestive heart failure, or you get a transplant and you get a new heart. Like that's, that's the path that I'm on and it's how long till I get to the end of that road. Mm -hmm. But I don't, again, I don't focus on that. It's a reality. Um, and so you do have your your moments. Everybody can have those moments. We're entitled right. to those moments of weakness. But you know what I do? I check myself immediately as fast as I can. What am I doing? Why am I behaving? Why am I acting like this? This is not serving me. This is not moving me forward. And and you got to pull yourself out of that place.
0: Thank you so much for being here, Bill, and sharing yourself and building, helping me build the pathway to like continuing to be authentically who you are. I think it's a powerful message of whether it's in business or, you know, deciding to choose to have children or navigating living in two different states to make things work and being, you know, faithful to yourself and to your faith and even traveling through a chronic, you know, disease and all these different things that you have contended with. And even to making the decision, here's why we didn't do this. And I don't think a lot of people really put that into thought when the whole gay marriage thing happened, even as we were coming up to, you know, this, what's going to happen here. I was, I was like grinding in, like I, I was supposed to, well, I am going on a, a company retreat, but I was like, depending on what happens here, midterms, this whole thing could blow up in our faces. And I will not go travel somewhere where if I'm in that state and they don't recognize my relationship uh-uh uh, I'm, you're I'm, you know 100 percent.
1: i'm with you john and i actually when this was all going on and there was a chance of it going the wrong way i said on principle alone like we've we've lived here for a long time we have a very right. great life here and but we we made the decision on principle alone if this didn't go through and and I'm sure you you've heard they're now trying to pass a don't say gay bill in the state yes um and which is just so disheartening and yep. you know I'm actually again I I am now connected and, you know, in the political end of things. And, and I'm going to do my, my best to try to, you know, avert some of these things that are happening in the state and, and wield some of the power that I've got. So.
0: And that's all we can do is show up and be present and, and do what we can do in the way that we can do it. Yes. So thank you again, sir, for sharing yourself with my listeners and giving us
1: hope and inspiration and wishing you nothing but the best, man. Well, I appreciate you having me and, uh, I loved being here. This was awesome. So thank you. And if anybody wants to reach out to you or get to know you
0: better, what's your website real quick, do a shout out on that.
1: So you can follow me on Instagram at, at the bill Rossi, T H E B I L L R O S S I, or my website is thebillrossi.com.
0: Yeah. Go check out his Instagram. It's pretty inspirational with the kids and the things he does and all that sort of stuff. Again, thank you, sir. And I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Hey, hey, Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.